Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 121. And this is the Ultra Endurance and Endurance Podcast. We talk about coaching, training, nutrition, hydration, race strategy, training execution, um, mindset. We talk about how to plan a, a season, months, um, of training towards events, all kinds of things. And I'm a coach. And so a lot of what I discuss on here has a coaching flow. But I see my job as simple. I help athletes achieve their endurance goals despite their busy lives, despite family or social commitments or career and community. And with that, the better I get to know the athlete, the better, more detailed and supportive I can coach them and provide guidance and insight and growth. Since I want you learning at all times so you know why we are doing things and therefore can fully embrace the training. That's what this podcast facilitates. Hopefully you learning and able to take a lot of the information we discuss on this podcast from emails I've received and topics that come up and training plan um, questions as well as training peaks, commentary, post training, that you can take that information and grow with it and become a better athlete with it and apply it better to your training. Whether you're coached by me and therefore have a better understanding of what I'm looking for and what the desired outcome is or whether you're coached by yourself and have a better understanding of what others are doing, what needs to be done, and how we can grow as athletes in this community. Learning, I heard the other day, is all about sharing. And I thought that was really interesting. The fact that you are learning something, reading a book, talking to other coaches, applying the concepts and principles of your own training, and that is a form of learning because you're observing, and then sharing that. I'm reading, I'm learning, I'm training in order to share it, accumulate, and in order to give it away. And again, that's what the Weekly Word Podcast is. I've been an athlete in that respect for 47 years. I turned 50 in less than a month. And I started swimming when I was three. (sighs) That's a long time ago. Um, I did that for almost... 30 years, and I still swim, obviously, a lot. I've had some success with swimming. Then I moved to triathlon, did that for about 20 years alongside some other things, um, had some success with that. I've been trail running alongside triathlon for probably 15 years, had some success with that. And then probably for the last 10 years, I've also taken part in a variety of ultra-endurance adventures and unique self-curated out there um, events that we've done and all that all those 47 years all those coaches all those mentors all those influences all those wonderful people that have touched my life have given me an accumulation of learning i soaked it up don't get me wrong i was asking questions of mark allen to the point that he thought it was annoying. I was asking questions of Wendy Ingram to the point she thought it was annoying. I worked with um, and was a partner and co-created a business with Matt Dixon of Purple Patch. And together we coached a lot of athletes and I learned a ton from him. And again, learning, learning, learning to accumulate in order to now share. 
121 episodes, I would say that's probably about 300 hours of sharing, sharing everything I can possibly know and give along. And all the time, I'm still coaching athletes, a big roster of athletes that are teaching me constantly on how they're growing and learning and what they're doing. And I'm constantly having to research and look into and expand my knowledge in order to, again, learn more, in order to share more. And the Weekly Word podcast, the reason I'm so excited about it, proud of it, love doing it, I think it's because of that. It's sharing, giving as much as I can so that you can be successful in your future endurance and ultra-endurance outcomes. And not so that you can do it better than me or better because you're moving on and you're just tapping into all the knowledge or avoiding mistakes. No, but it's, it's those little things that add up that you're learning that I believe you will share. And we consent with if we constantly are learning, whether you learn from me or I learn from you or I learn from others, and we're constantly giving it away again, sharing it. Not only does that feel amazing, but I think we're making this community a better place. That's why I love the emails. That's why I love the updates. I love the um, commentary you give me because, again, I'm learning and I get to share from that. I talk about it a little bit in this podcast. I touch on it. But, you know, as a good coach, you're constantly giving support and guidance rather than instructions. And that's the sharing, right? Skilled coaching involves unlocking people's potential, the athlete's potential, to maximize their own performance. So I am looking by sharing and teaching and guidance and support and the proper questions to get you to think. I'm looking to unlock your potential, your athletic potential, to maximize your performance, to maximize your outcome to maximize your growth and your learning and your sense of achievement and creating that new normal so that with that new normal, you continue to want to grow and continue to want to maximize that new potential and that new performance level and so forth. And it just grows from there. That's what we're doing here. And that's the Weekly Word Podcast. So this week I dive into a few things. Um, I talk about a topic that constantly comes up and that is life should get in the way of this training and um, it sounds confusing that life should get in the way but I think you'll get a good understanding of why I say it like that in the part where we talk about that um, I talk about athletes mindset as always um, how to how to approach it in a variety of different ways but that there is no difference in what we're doing than any other high-level athlete, and it's a question of a mindset for you. And this is nothing new on the podcast, but you know that I am constantly repeating that same concept. Being a high-level achiever is not a question of your ability and your talent and your genetics. It's a question of your mindset. And I can, like I've always said, I can take Michael Phelps and his routine and his approach and his mindset and apply it to the to the beginner of swimming. Your intention, your clarity, your purpose, your preparation, your commitment, your perseverance, your discipline is all equal to an Olympic gold medalist, right? 
those words that I just used have nothing to do with whether you're Michael Phelps or you're just learning to swim. You can show the same discipline. You can show the same commitment. You can show the same perseverance. You can show the same intention on, uh, on what you want to get out of this workout. You can show the same purpose. You can have the same desired outcomes. You can have the same intention, joy, um, and uh, vitality going into training, into a season, into your next event. There's no difference in those attributes, in those qualities, and then that is all part of the athlete's mindset. I talk about ways to motivate yourself um, when you don't have an event to get ready for in the short term or you even have an event to get ready for at all. So that's more about, um, you know, maybe some cues or some tips on how to stay motivated, stay engaged, and continue to progress forward. I go into some emails, not a lot this week, because I also go into some Training Peaks updates, a couple of them, because they're a lot of fun to sort of off the cuff go into and recognize how these are all valuable tips and insights to share with all of you. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. You guys continue to please send me feedback, emails, questions, insights, um, things you want answered on the podcast. I'm doing my best to continuously stay on top of it and continue to give this content back to you, sharing, um, taking what I've learned and sharing it with all of you. So thank you so much and enjoy the show. Life needs to be part of this journey. That's the crazy thing. As we're training for all of this, we can't expect it to go well. That's why we have a family. That's why we have jobs. And that's why what we're signed up for is so exciting that we might achieve, that we will achieve. That's why we signed up for it. There's so much there in sacrifice, perseverance, commitment to make it happen. It's what makes the finish line feel so good. And so I get emails every week about athletes telling me, and I love it, they're sharing why their struggle is difficult. Well, that's why it's called the struggle. They're sharing why this process might have gotten derailed. They're sharing why they might have missed a workout here or there. But the beauty behind that is exactly that. It's that this is a struggle and that makes the finish line so worthwhile. So you hit enter on the entry. Now you know what you're training for. Now you're going through the process. And you have the result in mind, but the result only feels that good because the process was difficult. If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? So here we are. Of course, we want, yes, we want it to be a struggle. We want that. And that is because that makes it taste so sweet when we achieve our desired outcomes. And so when life gets in the way, when family gets in the way, when work gets in the way, and not in the way in a negative sense, but just life, that's what happens. It comes up. If we all had unlimited time, it would just happen. We would be pro athletes or we would be back in our 20s doing what the training allows us to do for as many hours a day as we want with the recovery and the fueling and all the time in the, <clears throat> in the world to get it done. So the process around it becomes more about how do we overcome that in combination 
with the struggle and the desired outcome and the value of that finish line. So yes, life needs to get in the way. It is part of the journey. And that's why it's fun. That's why it's fun. We don't do this if we had nothing in the way. If we were back in our 20s, and I'm just using 20s as a general guideline, but if we're back in our 20s, no family, not much of a career yet to worry about, and we have sort of this unlimited time and just sort of a laissez-faire attitude that we can apply all our energy and interest to training. Well, then, yes, of course, it's fun for a bit, six, eight weeks, two, three months, but then it becomes a job. It becomes a commitment. It becomes a requirement. It becomes what we do. It becomes our identity. And currently, what's beautiful about many of my athletes is that it's not their identity. They have a family. They have a job. They have other things. They might even have other interests. And here they are taking on endurance adventures. And that is the fun of it all. The fact that we chose to go pro in something other than this sport and we're giving this our best attempt of the current version of who we are in the now in in a few months in a few years we might be way more experienced way more fit way more knowledgeable that's a different us then that's a different athlete toe in the line that's a different expectation those are different outcomes those are different desires it's all different but who we are in the now we chose that life needs to get in the way. And that's the fun of this training. If it were just come home, get in a workout, or wake up, get in a workout, work, come home, get in a workout, spend some time with just that routine, we don't need to do that. That would not make this an adventure. You are all signed up for an endurance adventure. And when you're doing it, when you're out there completing it, when you're out there feeling it on event day, expedition day, race day, whatever it is, it feels amazing because you know the story, the history, the narrative of your journey to get there. And of course, you'll think about the days you might have missed a workout, but you don't feel like you missed the workout because what? You were, you know having a third beer at lunch because you were goofing off because you chose to make other things a priority that aren't part of the core buckets that we're talking about no you missed a workout because life got in the way the things that are important to you got in the way and you made a choice a good choice i hope to not put the workout in front of that priority to not worry about this has come again we're not going to win it we're not going to do something too crazy outside of the norms of who we are as the athlete in the now right and what i mean by that is that it's not like we're all of a sudden expecting to get you know xyz place or a certain time or a certain outcome if that's finishing the adventure and all of a sudden all the way we get way ahead of our time or we way outshine our placing or we um the event the expedition the adventure was way easier than we thought it would be no that doesn't happen and if it does something else went wrong there's a reason for it so we're still within the parameters so it's not about stressing about what we missed it's about say staying focused and intentional 
and having purpose and clarity about the ones that we do get in. And then when we do get in a lot of them, we do them right. We do them well. We feel good about our progression. One of the emails I got today was about how most, um, however, this was one of those weeks when the opposite is true. Last weekend was one of those. Friday night, we had an issue at our work, and Saturday, we had another issue at our work. Needless to say, one of the three-legged stool legs kind of took over. All that said, I was happy to still have a productive weekend, but you see my Saturday long bike ride had to be cut short. Look, we, we had a good productive weekend. We had to cut a bike ride short. So be it. This is why we're choosing to play the long game. And why I say to so many pro, pro, um, potential prospective athletes, I say, let's start earlier. Not because I'm in any rush to get you started. I want you to have extra time to get ready because of this. Life gets in the way. I tried to not stress too much about it and reminded myself that this is a this is partly why I'm giving myself a year for the process. That's what the athlete wrote. Exactly. I'm giving myself extra time so that the fundamentals of my fitness and my foundation are in place so that I don't have to stress in the training about it. I don't have to um, crash study for the test, right? I don't have to cram for the test, excuse me, crash study for the test. Um, but you know what I mean. That's how that works. That's how that works. And so I want life to get in the way. Life needs to get in the way. I would say there's not a week that doesn't go by where athletes are asking me questions regarding qualifying for Worlds, going to Kona, achieving a certain sub three in a marathon and so forth. And what I often say is, and as you know from this podcast, it's not a question if you can. That's a different discussion. Can you? Are you capable? Of course. You know, we talk so much about how and when, of course, right? And we we don't need to jump into that again. But what many overlook and should be part of the process as we think about our future desired outcomes, results, ambitions, is triathlon, in this case, let's use triathlon as the example because that's the one that's come up. It's an established sport. It's not like you can just sort of walk in one year and say, next year I'd like to qualify for Kona. You don't say in track and field, as a 43-year-old, 33-year-old, 53-year-old, doesn't matter, that you start the sport that year and say, next year, I'd like to go to the World Masters World Championships or to the World Championships in my age group um, next year, right? It doesn't work like that. And we don't put those expectations on ourselves or not expectations, we don't put those ambitions on ourselves or out there in cycling or cross country or track and field or swimming or a variety of rowing or a variety of other sports because we know that's not reality that's not it's an established sport you don't just walk in 
one year do a 430 marathon and the next year think you're going to qualify for an elite spot at Boston or think you're going to run a sub three marathon as a 33 year old, which is what you would have to do in order to qualify for Boston. Um, it's a process. It's a, it's a gradual process that requires a deep down commitment to achieve a level of ex- excellence. Can you, I never say you can't. I can't actually think why not most athletes can't. But when, this year, or in five years, and how, right? Lots of training as we lead into it, or is it while balancing it with life and work? So, I mean, keep that in mind. As we think about Kona, especially Kona comes a lot up a lot, you know, less is much. It's, it's becoming more of an understood thing that it will take many years, but it requires a time to build the fitness. And as we know from fitness in general, right, as we say in other aspects of it, um, it takes time to build the efficiency and the economy of motion in order to have the best possible outcome in the future. If you're running a marathon, it takes time and economy of motion and efficiency in order to get through 20 miles efficiently with using a little bit less energy than your best in order to have a good remaining six miles, right? We often think we get to mile 20 and it's like, oh, I'm almost done. Well, that's almost a quarter of the race is remaining, right? I mean, that's a lot. 25% 25 remains. So a bit more, but we got to keep that in mind. You know, and then you throw in other aspects of sports, right? Let's say in triathlon, right? Just because you're starting to see good times, how do I get that faster? How do I run to my potential? As we always say, we have to get to a point where we can get through the bike a tick faster, but using less energy. So you have the capability the ability, the fitness, the the strength, um, and so forth, and the efficiency and economy, let's throw that in there too, to do a, let's say, let's throw that number out there, a 250 bike on a pretty flat course, right? That's great, but you don't do a 250. Instead, you do a three hours or you do a 257. Did you leave fitness on the table? Yes. Did you leave ability on the table? Yes. But this is a swim bike run and not just a swim bike. And your ability to run well is determined by your ability to leave some on the table for the bike. Your ability to run a fast marathon is about um, your ability. Your, your, yeah, your ability to run a fast marathon is about leaving some on the table um, up until mile 20. Could you have run faster until mile 20 on a marathon? Probably. But you're not willing to sacrifice, affect, compromise the final quarter of the race, right? And so those are the things we want to keep in mind as we're building fitness, as we're going into the winter, as we're setting up our season for 2020, as we're trying to determine how to find faster, better, stronger, 
smarter in our races, in our events, in our outcomes, in our progression to the athlete we want to become. And leaving ability, leaving fitness on the table is an important part of that. And also keeping my mind as you're building your 2020 season and setting ambitious goals. I love ambitious goals. Don't get me wrong. Let's throw them out there. And I'd love to hear them because ambitious goals shows to me you're thinking big. You're thinking outside of your reality. You're thinking a new normal. You're thinking the athlete's mindset. You're thinking of the best athlete version of yourself. Let's do that. Ambitious. Absolutely. But let's keep it within the path. Not within the path because I don't want to be limiting like that. I guess the point is what I was saying earlier. Don't just expect to walk into a world championship or some elite level race without knowing that you have to build up the time and the body and the the pounding and the miles and the experience and the strategy and the resilience to get there. There's many people looking for those same spots. How are you going to leapfrog them? Can you? Again, yes, you can. How and when, right? Part of it, but also in setting yourself up properly on the right course right we don't start sailing around the world by just saying all right um i'm just going to get to asia right away without knowing how to get to hawaii let alone knowing how to get out of the bay area i don't know if that's a good example but you know what i mean ambitious goals are good but let's figure out the small steps along the way to get there if you're looking to get to the world championships 70.3 kona whatever All right, what are the steps along the way to get there? And maybe even then, maybe you leapfrog goals. That's totally fine too. Let's say, all right, first let's focus on a 530 or first let's focus in top 10 in your age group or first focus on this. And maybe you blow through that. And then we adjust the goals and make them a little bit more aggressive because you're blowing through it. That's fine. We're not wasting time. None of it's wasting time. It's still, we're training. We're still progressing. We're still going there. But it's also about aligning your expectations and your care and your love for the process so that you can have success along the way and continue to manifest outcomes that motivate you on your own to get there. That's what I'm saying. I work with a lot of beginners and many seem to think that I only work with ultra endurance athletes and elites and you know i've talked about this plenty on the podcast but i don't believe there's really a difference and yes there is a difference between ultra endurance and getting ready for a sprint triathlon or a 5k for sure Um, and i primarily don't coach that that's not my wheelhouse but i do coach plenty of athletes that are doing those distances on their way to becoming ultra endurance athletes I coach athletes who are doing Olympic distance triathlons and shorter triathlons and shorter runs on their way to 70.3 Ironman, Ultraman, and beyond. Um, I've actually noticed again in 2019 as we're closing it out that a lot of athletes are converting more and more to seeing what I call the light or whatever with regards to the endurance lifestyle and what it can mean and how it can transform us and how we grow from it by going inside and listening to our body and our soul and our thoughts 
and meditating while we're exercising. Yes, meditating while we're exercising, allowing the thoughts to flow through our head while we're running, cycling, or even swimming. It's a little bit harder swimming. And taking that time to sort of reflect and ruminate <clears throat> and grow and understand and um advocate for ourselves and not judge ourselves and think about different aspects or angles of it. What makes us amazing as human beings is that we have the ability to project our thoughts in the future of what the outcome might look like, feel like, and play devil's advocate with it. That we can think of the pros and cons and what it might look like if we achieve said outcome or fail at said outcome and make our proper choices from there to see if we continue going down that path of actually living through that choice, that outcome, that um, one that won the advocating argument. So, um, but endurance training allows for that and allows for us to be in that space every day whether it's 45 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, hours, whatever it is, time for yourself, time to go inwards. And we've talked about this on the podcast. But the other aspect of coaching beginners and, and the intimidation around it, we were all beginners once. We were all beginners. And keep in mind, keep in mind, not only with, a, with regards to fitness, you know, many started with five miles, let alone 13 miles, let alone 26 miles, let alone 50 miles, let alone 100 miles, right? It was a challenge to do five miles. And, you know, but also keep in mind what your time currently is in a marathon or in a 50 miler or in an Ironman or whatever, or swimming or 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That might have been a very elite time. I mean, just look at triathlon, right? You're doing, if you're going a 530, 545 these days in a 70.3, 20 years ago, that was front of the pack elite. No, maybe not winning, but it was quite elite. You were winning age groups. So elite is just a mindset. It's just a part of this game. We can all be elite athletes. It's just a mindset, not a result because what was elite 10 years ago is no longer elite, right? And so therefore, why would we even come close to playing that game with our mind? Why would we even put ourselves into that mindset approach category? As we always say, we're, we can all be elite athletes. It's just a mindset. And we are all the same as Olympic athletes if we approach it with the right mindset. There is no difference between a medalist and a beginner. If, they, if we prepare, are purposeful, are intentional, are thoughtful with our training. We, can, we care no less than an Olympic athlete, than a medalist. If you enjoy the process the same. If you wake up with the same focus and excitement and joy to train, okay, maybe not every day, but what is no different than an Olympic athlete, than an elite world-class athlete. And they too wake up on some mornings not wanting to do it, going through the grind, having to deal with like, ugh, I don't feel like doing this today. But they do it anyway, and so do you. So there still is no difference. 
you are showing the same perseverance and commitment and grit to keep working on a future desired outcome. That's all it is. There is zero difference. And now if you throw into it even more, that the times we're doing today used to be elite many years ago, it's just a question of framing it, right? So again, back to the consistent theme, it's a mindset. It's how you prepare. It's how you have intention. It's how you go about your training and recovering and being an athlete. So another way to qualify that it's just a mindset. It includes a simple premise. What am I doing today? How am I investing in myself today for a future outcome that I will feel good about, complete about, accomplished about? That's the same as elite athletes. They're thinking about what they're doing today for a future outcome, whether it's Olympics in four years, world championships in two years, you know, college athletics, you know, NCAAs, whatever it is. And feel good about it, complete about it, accomplished about it. What am I doing today so that I feel accomplished about my outcome in the future? That manifests itself into a new normal, a new version of you. And that continues on with the same principle, which then keeps growing to a better and better athletic version of you, right? Then you continue to think, how am I investing in myself today in order to have a better future outcome, accomplished outcome, one that I feel good about myself having trained and done the process right, gets you more results, gets you more progress, which then manifests into a new cycle of how am I getting ready for tomorrow? And you continue to become a better and better athletic version of yourself. And as I always say, I would argue a better overall version of yourself. All right, I'd like to dive into some training peaks updates. It's something I haven't done in a while. And I think it spurs good thoughts, conversation, and training insights. One I just received the other day, and that is um, uh, about a cycling workout. Uh, ride felt okay, worked on trying to keep up the cadence as up as my general comfortable self is probably closer to 70 cadence. Did not quite hit the 80, but believe I was hitting it more consistently after the hour mark. Did not eat before this training session or during the training session. Um, it was only an hour and a half, so depends on what time of day. If it's early in the morning, yeah, I would say you can not eat before this training session. Nor much during is necessary if you feel your energy levels dropping off. And oftentimes, it's not a question of feeling your energy levels drop off. It's just that where you're confident or you're perplexed that you're not holding the power that you think you should be. And maybe that is a fueling question, or you're getting the jitters that you usually would get when you're bonking or low energy from lack of fuel. But 90 minutes is okay, is on the far end of what you can do in the morning or fasted without um, too much of a performance drop off. But uh, tons of sweat, and I probably should have consumed more water. Yes. For some reason, I seem to have trouble eating or consuming water while on the bike. Not sure why, but realize that I need to change that habit. So that's actually the reason I bring this um, training update up. It takes time to teach our body to eat and drink. It's not something that's going to come naturally. If you've never done it before, it seems very foreign 
to eat and drink while exercising, while training, while elevated heart rate. So realize that, accept that, and realize that you have to gradually teach your body to absorb, accept calories while training. Also have to teach your body to think of it, to look for those signals, to feel it. All this is brand new to the body in many cases. And so accept that. Know that we have to learn that and that that's how it works. All right, let's dive into another one here. Here's a pretty good one. Um, Work has been abnormally stressful in the last 48 hours. Opted for a hillier but more mentally relaxing route. So this workout was supposed to be 90 to 120 minute bike easy spin. Um, Kept it fairly low key but slightly overshot how long it would take. Body felt good even if my head was not in the best place today. Great example, right? We have a prescription. In this case, there wasn't much on the prescription, easy 90 to 120 minutes. But I like the fact that the athlete said, you know what? I needed something where I could exhale a little bit more, Um, more mentally relaxing route. Maybe it is the rollers or through a forest or hilly um, just to sort of work the body and allow it to exhale that way. Whatever it takes, there's definitely days where you have a prescription of training and the body mentally as well as sometimes physically just can't um, embrace it or you're just not in the mood. It's totally fine. You have a week to move the workouts around to get the gist of what we're trying to do done. And again, we have to integrate it with life, with our day-to-day. And so this is what I say to so many athletes every single week. It looks great on paper. That training, when I put it into training peaks and I look at the two to three weeks and sort of go through it and the descriptions and the the strength and the, the rhythm of it with off days and easy days in between or a swim workout here and this and that, it looks great. It looks totally great. But now, one, I have to factor in, okay, now who is this person? Who is this athlete? How do they work? How do they have their family? How much do they commute? What is their stress? Who are they? And so then what looks great on paper needs to be adjusted. And that's on my end when I'm delivering two, three weeks of training. Now add to that, you, the athlete, the receiver, looks at it. And also has to go, this looks great. I mean, not in regards to kudos to me, but more, all right, awesome. This is inspiring. This is fun. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to doing the training. But now you also have to incorporate that into your life. So what looks good on paper on the screen there might not work for a full two to three weeks. There might need to be some adjustments, adaptations, movements, uh, shuffling around of the workouts to different days. That's totally fine. I always say get in the big picture, the concepts first, and then break down the week. But that is the interplay that is constantly happening, happening. And that is coaching, right? It looks great on a piece of paper. It looks great in a vacuum. It looks great on a screen. Now, how does it fit to the person, to the individual, to their schedule, to their travel, to their family, to their needs, to their community needs, to their recovery needs, to their where they're growing in the progression of their training, to their history, to their injuries, to anything. All that becomes the coaching, 
right? And from that standpoint, there's also the what is coaching, right? In many aspects, you could say that coaching is more about supporting and guiding and helping, right? But it's giving support for what that piece of paper or what that screen is looking for you, looking at, and guidance rather than just instructions. Coaching to me is giving support and guidance rather than instructions. You all can open a book or go to a website or a variety of different ways, get instructions on how to train. But now how do I support you with your schedule? How do I guide you, given that piece of paper, given that schedule, to navigate through your day-to-day? I want the athlete to learn how to adapt to the constantly changing schedules and their priorities, three-legged stool, in ways that unleashes fresh energy for you, motivation, and creativity. So yeah, you might have to move the schedule around, or you might have to switch things up. But if it allows for you to be creative in your um, excitement towards the workout, that's good. And it then reinforces your commitment, support, and guidance rather than just instructions. Here's another one. Um, Sustaining hard kick, this is for a swim workout, was super challenging. My kick is very inefficient, taking a lot of energy out of me and hard to recover from. How do I improve this? So yes, kicking is using the biggest muscles in the water, in the swimming function. And remember, with swimming, controlled breathing, and therefore not being able to supply oxygen back to those big energy and oxygen-sucking muscles while kicking is difficult. Now, in many cases, we do this with a kickboard so that our head is out of the water and we can focus on breathing how we want to breathe, but it's still taxing. And the other aspect is most non-swimmers don't have loose enough ankle flexibility, dorsi and plantar flexion movement, pointy toes, feet back towards the shin, pointy toes. Most can't sit on their heels so that they're their feet are flat, a flat line between shin and toes, right? If you're sitting on your heels and flattening that out. And that is basically the swimmer's kick motion. If you can create a flat surface, shin via ankle to the end of your toes is all one flat surface because you're sitting, kneeled on your heels, right? And pushing that down or not even pushing it down. It's flat anyway, then you have created the swimmer kick motion because a flat foot with the width of the the area right behind the toes going down and up is what creates your propulsion. Most non-swimmers aren't able to create that flat surface. And so they're basically kicking with their feet, mostly pointing down while swimming. So imagine this and Feel free, please, 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 please learn to do this and try this in the pool. Next time you kick with a kickboard in the pool, point your toes to the bottom of the pool. See what happens. You either don't go anywhere or you actually go backwards. You go backwards while kicking. So your only way to improve this is to really get that flat surface that I was talking about 
with regards to shin bone through the ankle to the toes being flat on the water horizontal and then the up and down propulsion that comes as if kicking a soccer ball kick down as if you're kicking over the top of a soccer ball with a flat foot flat foot kicking the soccer ball and then recovery you have to get that down motion of the kick coming from the knee and a little bit from the hip but mainly from the knee in order to kick that snap down flat foot in order to displace water which then moves you forward and in the beginning if you're not have if you don't have flat feet and you're kicking all that big energy muscles glutes hamstrings and so forth is being used for very little propulsion which means it takes you longer to get down the pool which means you're using that muscle more and consuming more oxygen and therefore it it's a it's a spiral so that's the important part building up the fitness of course to use less energy and use less oxygen because you're kicking properly but also the proper technique if your foot is not flat it does not work that is why fins help so many people and even the zoomers and shorter fins help people because they're able to create a flat down force surface by lengthening their foot with a pair of fins. And even if your foot can't go fully flat in fins on the down motion because of the flexibility, some part of the extension of the fin creates that flat down surface and therefore propels you forward. What I like about fins and feel free to use them when you need to in a swim practice is it does help flex and stretch that muscle the ankle flexibility and does loosen them up somewhere so that down the road you become a better swimmer i don't like fins in order to make an interval or swim further or to, it's not helping you it's masking the lack of fitness and if you need to swim less and but without fins that often so be it I'm not a fan of fins. I just don't believe it. Now, I do use them in my workouts for some people. A, to create that awareness. B, to build up that bigger oxygen consumption because when you have fins, you're using those bigger muscles because you're properly kicking and therefore creating a different level of fatigue, oxygen consumption. And oftentimes with paddles, also using big muscles in the arms and back and lats, you wear them both paddles and fins it is a huge drag on the system of oxygen consumption because you're made using big muscles and therefore boosts fitness but again those are all little concepts that i'm constantly playing with but that would answer that question that i see here in this um training peaks update okay i have an email here that's probably <laughs> A little late but i will answer it anyway because it's about the new york marathon which was last weekend um i'll be running a new york city marathon in a few weeks and was wondering if you had any thoughts about pacing strategy etc specifically i've completed a lot of zone 2 work over the past year z2 range is 140 to 153 and was formally lt tested about at 171 heart rate about four months ago i recently ran a 10k race in central park at 629 pace with an average of 162 so that sounds a bit right um 
if trained for a 10K race, you should probably be able to push closer to that LT testing number. But if you're running a lot of zone two and prep for a marathon, um, it's harder to keep that heart rate up there and that um, aggressive for that long of a time because otherwise um, it feels so uncomfortable. It's so f- unfamiliar and your running stride in that space because it's not a lot of time there is feels awkward. It costs extra energy as well. But anyway, just so that you know with regards to LT, lactate threshold, and it's basically what we should be able to put out for about 45 to 60 minutes um, consistently. So I'm not saying 71 heart rate, but maybe 166, 168 average. Um, felt great. Now, I felt like I was just getting started. The following day, I did an aerobic run at 8.06 pace for 20 miles, average heart rate 142, and a marathon simulation day after a day of recovery, 10 miles at 149, heart rate 7.24 pace. I run strictly by heart rate and have completed very little speed work and run religiously with a heart rate chest strap. Shows you the power of zone 2 training. My question for the marathon, should I cap my heart rate at 155, just above zone 2? Remember, zone 2 was 140 to 153. For the first 20 miles, and then see how I feel for the last 6 miles or so before I turn it up a bit? Um, do we let heart rate dictate pace? And if so, what is your general advice around this? I'm 6'1", 165, and eat extremely healthy. Um, no. No. It's a race. Uh, this is the confusion that so many have around, especially a short race like a marathon. I know, relatively short race. Do we want to take it out too fast? No. Do we want to have a cap on our um, outcome result too early? Um, no, as well. So what I mean by that is that we have an opportunity to race and a lot of racing is on feel and needs to be on feel. Um, I wouldn't even mind if you left the heart rate strap at home. Learning to race on feel is so important. Now we train because these are short windows of time every day and on weekends to make sure we're having the maximum stimulus for a future outcome race um, for training adaptation, right? So that's why we want to be as specific as possible. But now we're on race day. Now the only thing we use a heart rate number four is to ensure we don't take it out too hard. But 20 miles with a cap just above zone two, you're leaving half the race, three quarters of the race um, on the course. That's running way too easy. My um, approach with most of my athletes is that they run a marathon in upper zone three the entire way. Now, I don't want them starting off at upper zone three. Again, I don't want heart rate. I want you to first run on feel. I want it to be uncomfortable. I want you to question your pace. And then usually after five, six, seven miles, it sort of settles in that that seems to be the same place as upper zone three, mid to upper zone three. And then that becomes really uncomfortable. And then now it's a question of how far did I get with the combination of feel and heart rate upper zone three where it's settled in and um, where am i am i 14 miles into the race am i 10 miles into the race remember we took a six or seven just to settle into where that is um, uncomfortably fast 
knowing that the fear inside us will prevent us from going stupidly too fast. The first six miles is still too far to go. We don't want to feel that uncomfortable, that um, out of parameters. Um, so hopefully the feel and where heart rate settles takes you to mile 16 or 17. And yeah, now we're 16 miles in. Now we've done feel and combined with where the heart rate sort of settled, which is hopefully above zone three, but not in zone four. Um, now we have 10 miles to go. Well, 10 miles to say, okay, let's out of those 10 miles to go, I'm going to take four miles or the next five miles and run goal pace my goal desired race pace outcome as far as I can. Hopefully that takes us to the twenties and then it's got some glory to the bank, but no, um, the back to the question for the marathon, should I cap my heart rate at one fifty five, just above zone two? No, you should cap it at just above zone three. Um, and see how I feel for the last six months. By 20 miles, the day's over. You don't have enough real estate miles to catch up to what you left on the course. It's not a zone two day. Do we let heart rate dictate pace? No. And if so, what is your general advice around this? I already gave that. I had another athlete the other day. He just read, read that book, The Oxygen Advantage. And he ran the entire run of the New York City Marathon breathing through his nose or most of it. Also, what... No. <laughs> now, the advantages of breathing through your nose is absolutely proven and very good, and the, the book details it very nicely. But for high-level athletic performance, a lot of these principles do not apply. <laughs> and so, again, leaving energy and fitness on the course in this case. So, um, yeah, that's how I usually have my athletes go about a marathon. But in this case, also, it's hard to know what you've trained, how you've trained, what your ability is, what your goal pace is, what your desired outcome is, um, how many marathons you have under your belt, how many years you've been running, experience of strategy and trusting pace and trusting feel and all that. It's a, it's a big game of a variety of inputs. And again, everybody's different. So I hope that helps. Here is a great um, email question I received. Um, the first part of the question doesn't apply anymore with regards to the swim format in Kona. But with Black Friday rapidly approaching, what would you say is needed for a home gym for an endurance athlete? Awesome question. Um, so let's dive into that. Home gym question. I would definitely have a bunch of kettlebells and a bunch of dumbbells. I would definitely have a sandbag and uh, that can be adjusted in weight, um, 40 to 60 to 70-ish pounds. I would also have a weighted vest. Uh, again, that vest can be adjusted in weight with uh, taking um, weight sections out or pieces out and in. So now if we have a weight vest that, let's say, goes up to 50 pounds plus sandbag, 50-ish to 60, 70 pounds, now we can squat air squats or regular squats with 100 pounds on our body and it's very well distributed sandbag moves and can hang around the shoulders or can be elevated um, weight vest tight around the body so you're truly setting up your own um, weight above you above the hips and core and stuff but um, so I definitely suggest that um, I definitely suggest a uh, jump rope 
What else? Um, those kettlebells should probably go on up to 50 pounds. Um, so you can do some good um, keg lifts and anti-rotational stuff. Um, I love keg lifts where you start from one side, kneeling, let's say keg lifts. You pick up that kettlebell with both hands at this at your one side and then bring across your body and lift onto something at shoulder height next to you. Um, onto a box, onto a chair, onto a table, whatever that is. Um, so that works great. Um, you need a mat. You need some matting to keep it soft in the room or on the ground or whatever you're doing. What else would I recommend? Um, I mean, of course, you can take this anywhere with regards to squat racks and so forth. But a lot of this, uh, oh, medicine ball, of course. Um, you definitely want a medicine ball. I would um, Not too firm. Um, you want it so that it can be gripped properly. Some of them are too firm. Um, 12, uh, 16. Uh, rarely do you need a 20-pounder because then you're moving to kettlebell and dumbbell and uh, even sandbag weight. So I think 12 and 16 pounds is great. And that's about it. That gets you <laughs> a lot. And it's not that expensive, right? couple of kettlebells, a couple of dumbbells, uh, a good sandbag, a good uh, weighted vest, by the way, which you can also hike, load, loaded with. You can do step-ups loaded with a good vest, which I will do a lot of this winter. Um, and that's a future podcast where I'll explain that. Um, and a medicine ball and a mat. Um, so nothing too expensive and everything can be shipped via Amazon. <laughs> Something I come across every now and then, um, it's definitely more frequent lately, I would say, is athletes that don't have events listed or even in their future. Now, they have some future desired outcomes, but it's so far ahead, maybe two years or three years, but nothing in the immediate future. And so after our initial sort of ramp up and volume and familiarity and being able to absorb the training and the strength and the core and a variety of things. And now we're sort of settled into knowing what this is all about and how to execute it and do week after week pretty well. It becomes a question of motivation, right? And events and races are powerful forces in our training and progression. And they signal to us what's important and forcing us to focus and driving our training phases, sort of recovery weeks and macro phases and micro phases. And that's why when training plans don't have an outcome, don't have an event, um, you know, it can affect our motivation, our future outcome. It can affect um, how we go about our weeks. And, um, you know, we, it can, we can sort of languish as athletes, just sort of not progress the same way we're capable of. Um, and sometimes it also happens with athletes who choose events that are sort of ambiguous. Um, I wouldn't say boring, um, but there's not a sense of growth or challenge or scare in it. It doesn't keep us on our toes with regards to, all right, I got to get this training done. I am somewhat fearful of it. So you naturally then deprioritize your training, um, not because you're uncommitted or you don't believe in it, but because it just doesn't feel as urgent or as necessary. And, you know, you want something with clear goals that creates sort of an urgency and makes it more pressing. 
allows you to stay on your focus. And sometimes that focus is needed. Um, it's that last ingredient to keep you on a, 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 a clear path of progression where you see results in the training and therefore continue on with the training. It's hard, one, if you don't have events, and B, you don't see it in the day-to-day training, let's say a monthly track test to see your benefits or you know a typical route that you're now doing better, faster, stronger, or strength training that you feel yourself getting stronger or swimming that you're getting faster in the pool. You know what I mean. And so the question is, you know, how do you motivate yourself around this, right? Um, you probably are the only one um, doing this training. Like it's not like you're in a bigger group. And so if you miss training or you don't do it as focused or as urgent as you can, um, there's nobody giving you a hard time. And there's also some guilt around it, I've found, and um, anxiety because you know you should be training. You know you should be doing something different. You know you should have something out there scary or challenging or growth-minded. And if you're not training for it properly, when people ask you, how is your training going? Or they see, obviously, it's a big component in your life, the training and your diligence and focus and perseverance and commitment. You you get this like knot in your stomach when people ask you, well, how are you doing? What are you getting ready for? And to say, no, <laughs> I don't have anything I'm getting ready for in the immediate future or realizing that some of the training isn't quite as... Uh, detailed as you are capable of and know you could be doing, that gives us a sense of guilt, like I said. So here we are, it's November, and this is not a question of getting through the winter, it's just a question of as we set up our 2020 and what we have out there, what is it, how can we motivate ourselves when we don't have an event, when we don't have a future desired outcome, something that scares us. And I'm not saying that we have none and that we don't have visions of what we want to achieve and uh, we don't have a North Star of what we're trying to get to. But in the day-to-day, in the minutiae of trying to make this work, given the schedule and life and all the things we talk about, how do we stay on top of it? So some things, like you could make your own event or priority or future outcome. I've talked a lot about the monthly um growth aspect. What do I want to achieve by November 30th, by December 31st, by January 30th, right? And using that sort of as your mini events, make your own deadlines. There's no reason you can't wake one up for yourself. If you want to uh, achieve a certain outcome, run a fast 10k, um, run a fast half marathon, um, cycle 100 miles, um, swim a certain set of hundreds or as far as you can underwater or whatever it is, set a certain date and choose to spend a certain time a week or amount of time in your training or we need to shift focus then, we shift focus, so be it, towards achieving that outcome. It's fun, right? And that's the big thing to keep in mind here. It keeps you engaged in fun. So I gladly have you build in something like that where you say, Chris, I know I'm training for a 100 miler in two years. I'm gradually building them, building up the volume and keeping it healthy. But I really would love to run my fastest 5k turkey trot in two months or my fastest 10k or beat my son in this 
or, you know, whatever it is. I've always wanted to hike that. Or I had an athlete the other day um, in my training. I want to hike, run the presidentials with um, a bunch of buddies. Sweet. Cool. Now, is that a, a measurable, defined outcome? No, but it is something that when he's fit and strong and feels really connected versus compared to his friends, that's exciting. That's something that'll keep him motivated in these darker months, shorter days in New York City, especially. So make your own deadline, write down your commitments and mark them on your calendar, have them out there, put them in training peaks by defining exactly when you want to get an outcome. And you also help define the, the path that you want to get there right? Even if I'm writing the path or you're writing your own path, you help yourself to understand where um, the training is taking you, where it is in your order of priorities for the day. And again, it keeps you motivated to where you're going. So deadline, make your own events, make your own cutoffs. You could even do a six month one where you say in six months from now, so let's say November, let's say in May, by May one, I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And then we come up with a plan towards that. And of course, I can help you as you say, well, how does that fit into my overall North Star, my overall two-year plan or three-year um, growth plan? Easy to be done. And that's something we discussed. But again, we all have pro in something other than what we're talking about here. And it's got to be fun. I want you to have fun with this and feel alive and invigorated. If this plan and this is for all my athletes, for all of you out there, not just my athletes. If it becomes too much of a chore, if it becomes too unenjoyable, if it becomes too much of a grind, we have to reevaluate those goals. We have to reevaluate how we're training because that's not going to help you. It's going to drive you down um, a spiral. And not just because, yes, of course, there's hard days and there's hard weeks and we just got to sort of get through them. But if it's constant like that, and then also there's an um, there's an emotional cost there that we want to avoid. If it's no longer fun, then we're also often not taking care of our body the way we should because it's not fun. And therefore, there could be a adrenal focus a cost there could be a recovery cost there could be a nutritional cost there could be a variety of other things that all starts if the training is not fun if it's a grind if it's a negative if it's a stress right if it's a stress it's a whole different story then we need to adjust the schedule but if it's a negative it's a grind if it's not fun we're also probably not doing the little things to make sure that we're absorbing adapting and growing with the training and that's, again, where a coach with support and guidance and not just instruction comes in, right? So fun. It's got to be fun. Okay, made that point. Um, another thing you could do to motivate yourself when you don't have an, a future event is, um, you know, enlist sort of friends and support and peer pressure and, you know, tell somebody what you're looking to achieve. Have them sort of hold you accountable. Um, and you've got to sort of send them updates. 
that's often what a coach is when you tell someone your time frame for achieving your desired outcome and regularly send them updates you you have a greater incentive to make progress to swing those be- uh, legs out of bed in the morning um, some people like to tell their goals to one person a family member a training partner training partner is actually key a friend or or their coach and then report back to them that whoever that is or all of them right you can tell bunch of them but in this case many people like to only tell one person that's just sort of the trend and others might like a more public declaration right social media perfect example for that where you put your um desired outcome by next month i want to be able to do 100 burpees in a row right you put that out there i mean which is really cool goal by the way (laughs) um i just think burpees are just such a cool overall beat you to the ground exercise. Um, Something I'm doing a lot of lately too. Uh, This strategy can really help you with that, again, that peer pressure, right? And most people who are on your social media care about you and your outcome, you hope, and therefore support you and ask you about it and keep, again, keep you accountable. But helping, having others help you achieve something for you, it works great, right? And it's motivating and it's still within your comfort range and it's it's pretty cool actually so um you can collaborate also right so not just saying what you want to have completed and then tell others but maybe recruit others you might have a training buddy right and they're looking to improve swimming as well this winter and so let's figure out some goals together for how we want to improve we want to climb better on the bike how can we do that together let's hit some markers and they don't need to have the same numbers at you as you but they can have the same desired outcome i want to become a better climber i want to become a better swimmer i want to become a better trail runner i want to become a faster 10k runner i want to have a better run off the bike and work on that this winter let's set some goals a six-week goal a three-month goal and an end-of-winter goal and together with each other sort of hold each other accountable that's tons of fun or you can take it to your tri club or you can take it to your master's team or your master's coach and then they figure out a goal for your swimming group together you'd be surprised how many people are out there looking for a, a group incentive a group activity to keep them motivated as well And then you could also do something where you, you know, bring in even a bigger group, not even just a training partner, but that's what I just was saying. But anything, all these options create accountability. So even if it isn't a real race, there's a sense that you're letting someone down or some people down if you're not sticking to your word and following through. And that is a huge, huge component of motivating ourselves if we don't have an event or a certain deadline of a future race looming in front of us or if it's not as challenging as we thought it would might be or uh, i thought it would might be um great english there i thought it would might be <laughs> um if we have an event out there that's not that challenging that we know we can execute and do well in or do enough in that we don't need to train that much that's what i'm saying um And then a final way to motivate yourself is incentivize yourself. You know, you can give yourself all kinds of different incentives. 
you can reward for yourself for the training you do. You know, like a nice dinner at the end of a, a week where you executed every workout. Or, a, uh, um, you know, you can uh, reward yourself by upgrading your equipment, right? Where you say, all right, I am not going to buy myself that expensive Garmin watch or buy myself a new bike until I at least get in six weeks of solid cycling training so that I can say I deserve or I'm ready to move to that bike or um, that watch, right? I'll run 250 miles in training before I get to a point where I need a new watch or I'll ride a thousand miles on this bike um, over the next, uh, whatever, uh, two months, um, three months, whatever it is, since we're going into winter, it's not as much outside riding, um, before I give myself the, 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 the incentive, the, the reward of buying a new high-end bike. And you want to use that anyway as incentive for the spring. You don't want to ride your new bike on a trainer <laughs> indoors all winter anyway. That's sort of a the salt from the sweat and all that and then also you want to ride that thing so um a recovery weekend you could even do a recovery where you say all right i'm going to train the next 10 days and then i'm going to take four days off or i'm going to train the next 12 days and take that weekend completely off and do things completely different than i usually would um, i'm going to take my girlfriend my wife or my friends and we're going to go do this um not training related there's a zillion ways you can Reward yourself for getting a bunch of training done to the standards you set for yourself. Most of you are listening to this because you already have pretty high standards that you set for yourself. Remember, athlete's mindset. And um, yeah, so it's not a question of how you'll do it. It's a question of if you'll do it and when you do it, doing it many days in a row. And then, you know, you could even do a training vacation where you say... Um, because of this month, I'm going to give myself a week off so-and-so play. Or you can even do it the other way around. You can make it in an environment where you incentivize yourself to train. Now you're doing two things at once, right? You can reward part of the process here and you're getting stuff done. I am going to reward myself with a weekend of training in this warm location or this you know, cool location or, or, or mountainous or whatever location. There, I'm going to not only get training done, but I'm rewarding myself to get to that point so that I can get training done there. That reward, that incentivizes me at home the next two, three weeks because I have that future training trip to whatever, Maui. Or if you're on the East Coast, I'm going to go down to Florida for a week and train or whatever it is. Um, but you know what I mean. So you're combining a pleasurable experience with the need to focus on training that you might not work do otherwise or work on at home. So, I mean, at the end of the day, motivating yourself to train is a challenge, but it's not insurmountable. Find a buddy, create incentives, create your own deadlines, create your own strategies and priorities around what you can achieve, and let's move towards that, especially as we head towards these darker months. It allows you to make a more um, direct line progress. Um, it's what I say, deliberate training, not just training, deliberate training. When you have a deadline, an outcome, um, a short-term focus, your training is a lot more deliberate because you want to not only ex 
achieve your your short-term goals, hopefully exceed them. But you also want to not let the people down that you've told about it. You don't want to let yourself down and you want to reward yourself. You can combine all the concepts into one. But the main thing is, is that you stay motivated, you stay engaged, you stay getting better each day, better today than you were yesterday. And you are, uh, with the training, getting the outcomes and the focus and the attention to detail and the adaptation that we're looking for. Um, To not waste the limited training time that we have. All right, well, I'm going to close out this episode of the Weekly Word Podcast 121 as I'm driving uh, from the airport to see my parents in Florida and wanted to get the episode out. But um, also wanted to give an update with regards to Sunny. Many of you might be wondering, well, what happened to the um, marathon plant? Well, Sunny got a little bit of, I wouldn't say an overuse injury. It's hard to say that because it hasn't been used that much. Um, But again, like I've talked about so often in this training, we have to look at the delta between um, how much running we have in the past five, seven, eight, ten years, and then how quickly we're bringing up the volume as we're moving along in this endurance journey and this endurance training. And so when that happens too suddenly, when that volume ramps up too quickly, and it might not look too quickly on paper, it might be straight out of a magazine even, that type of volume ramp up. And magazine I mean by like Runner's World or you know Triathlete Magazine or any of the sports-specific publications. But when we don't have anything prior and we go from zero to a certain type of training volume, even for a marathon where let's say you're building up gradually, which we were, um, we have to be very, very cognizant and careful. And as you heard with a variety of sunny conversations, he built up his volume quite gently and carefully, running every two days or running every three days and going from a 10K to a half marathon and so forth. But then we look back and still see that it is from zero flat line on the y-axis to suddenly a, a mountain range creating itself on that chart. And that is often where I am super um, concerned. I'm saying super a lot because it is something that I'm hyper attentive to that we want to make sure our body can absorb, withstand, and handle the load we are so desiring to put on it. The intentions are true and real and fair and healthy and well guided with regards to wanting to be um, a marathoner or run a marathon, the first marathon in this case. But it's all a process of how and when, not if, but how and when. So that's my sunny update. I'm sorry for the the volume or the noise, the background noise while I'm driving here to close out this podcast, but I wanted to make sure I gave that update and close it out properly. I hope you all enjoyed it. And um, I'm going to go off the grid in South Florida for 48 hours and visit my parents and catch up with them. Um, Again, for me, it's quite important to spend some time 
annually with them where um, they are truly a gift that um, is remaining for a few more years and how many more times will I have the opportunity to see them and spend time with them. Originally, my brother was going to fly in from Europe, from Germany, and also meet me here. And so I was going to surprise them. But unfortunately, his back is pretty injured. He slipped some discs and wasn't allowed to fly due to insurance reasons if anything got bad here. So instead, I came solo. So I'm going to dive into that and um, try to appreciate every moment, right? We're all enlightened um, until we spend some time with our family, as the quote says. So have a great week, everybody. And I look forward to talking to you all on this podcast next week on episode 122. Thank you.